0: Well, good morning. We'll be looking at uh, Deuteronomy 23 in a moment, but I've been looking at a few comments made by people over the past week or so, which are extremely interesting. The head of market analysis for Snyder Foreign Exchange, Stephen Gallo, uh, has said that the financial crisis will lead to the creation of a global central bank and a global single currency within 15 years. Echoing the call of top globalists who have exploited the problems they created to push for a new world financial order. Everything is global now. If you listen to the news, everything has to be global. And David Rockefeller's memoirs, it states, some even believe we, the Rockefellers, are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterising my family and me as internationalists, and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global, political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I am proud of it. So there we have the Rockefellers admitting that they are behind a lot of this global economy, global one-world politics. Whether we like it or not, we have entered a time of accelerated global transformation. And religion will play a major role in this. Whatever way this new world order is going to work out, religion is going to be a very central part of it. A new world order calls for the creation of a new world religion. And the Bible has spoken about that in Revelation. Christianity as a result of this, biblical Christianity, will face ideological challenges to the central beliefs and doctrines, worse than anything it has has experienced over the last two millennia. In this new world, all religions will will have to be recognised as legitimate pathways to God. You know, we we say there is only one God and one way to God, but religious exclusiveness and dogmatism will be viewed as potential threats to world peace and survival. Now you may think this seems a bit far fetched. But a man called Hans Kong, director of the Institute of Ecumenical Research at the University of Tobingen, makes this point emphatically in his book, Global Responsibility in Search of a New World Ethic. Here's what he says. All the religions of the world today have to recognise their share in responsibility for world peace. And therefore, one cannot repeat often enough the thesis for which I have found growing acceptance all over the world. There can be no peace among the nations without peace among the religions. In short, there can be no world peace without religious peace. And... In 1999, the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, which we've heard a lot of talk about recently, an international think uh, think tank of political, business and academic leaders held in Davos, Switzerland, Uh, a man called Dominic Peckhood, advisor for socio-religious affairs at the International Labour Office in Geneva, speaking on the topic Religion as a global phenomenon for the new millennium asserted, fundamentalism is a worldwide threat. And the way this has been countered, he maintained, is to change the view that salvation depends on playing by certain religious rules. Everyone is saved. That's the way he reckons fundamentalism should be countered. So we need to be careful as Christians and to be on our guard because Satan is going round as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and we'll read in a moment the first five or so verses. Now, following on from the short little mini-series we did within uh, our study of Deuteronomy, the little series on woolen and linen, the remaining verses in chapter 22 deal with laws protecting the innocent wife, adultery, rape, and such-like things which uh, we will... Passover. You can read them at home for yourselves. And so we come to chapter 23. Now the first few verses of chapter 23 are perhaps not the easiest either to discuss in public. Nevertheless I believe that we may all learn from them with the guidance of the Holy Spirit helping us. And so we will have a look at those in a moment these verses deal with an important subject to any uh, member of, of the Israelites. The qualifications necessary for entry into the congregation of the Lord. And it's who shall enter and who shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Now we must remind ourselves I suppose as to the position in which Israel found itself as Moses was giving this talk to them. They were about to enter the Promised Land, a land, although flowing with milk and honey, was also occupied with heathen, evil, wicked nations. Nations whose religious acts and practices were repugnant to God and repulsive to many normal acts of decency as we've seen in our study so far uh, of the book of Deuteronomy Moses was constantly warning and charging the people of the necessity of separation from the world around and it is still necessary for us in this as we go through this world to be careful and to separate ourselves from the world around us we need to be insulated from the world around us We look at our modern world and we look at the way the economy of the world and everything else is happening in the world today and we see evil and wicked practices. We see a corrupt business world, greed and self-promotion is the rule rather than consideration for our fellow man, for our neighbours and for their needs. The principle applies in all walks of life. We have recently in sport, we had the case of Lewis Hamilton, the uh, Grand Prix driver. He prepared to go along and tell lies along with his superiors in order to gain a few marks, a few extra points on the uh, world table rather than tell the truth but he was found out to be a liar. We have seen it in cars, in the banking and other worlds, greed and selfishness and evil practices. We have seen it in politics. The Home Secretary for instance and others all have their noses in the trough of expenses. <coughs> she is uh, saying that she will uh, wipe out curb crawling and her husband at home is hiring pornographic films and charging them up to the nation they may fulfill the law in its letter but not in its equity how true the words of scripture Jeremiah 17 verse 9 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it Let's read those verses in Jeremiah chapter 17. We read from verse verse 5. Jeremiah 17 verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. The man that trusts in man will live in a state of barrenness and a salty wilderness On the other hand, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters So often the, the, the ways of the righteous are shown as trees planted by rivers of water And that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the day of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Oh, the difference. When the heat comes, he who is planted by the rivers of water will be evergreen produce fruit so different to as we shall see certain people in these first five verses of Deuteronomy 23 then these words the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it I the Lord search the heart I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. As the partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not so is he that getteth riches and not by right and shall leave them in the midst of his days and at his end shall be a fool. Oh, the end of those who receive riches by evil ways it applies right to the present day now let's read the first five verses of Deuteronomy 23 he that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when ye came out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam the son of Beor of Pathor of Mesopotamia to curse thee, Nevertheless the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. And we we'll just stop there for a moment. The congregation of the Lord. When we looked at Deuteronomy five and verse twenty two, we saw that the law was given to the Israelites at Mount Horeb. And there it was called, if we look at that verse, uh, <coughs> these words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount, in the midst of the fire of the cloud. And of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone. And delivered them unto me. In the assembly. That assembly were gathered there at Mount Horeb. What did it consist of? It consisted of those people. Who had been redeemed out of Egypt. The assembly. The congregation of the Lord. And those who were members of that assembly who had come under the voice of God who had been redeemed out of Egypt they had to have qualifications in order to be part of that assembly. The Greek translators used the word ecclesia in the New Testament. Those who who have been called out We have been called out of the world. We have been brought into a a, a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed by his precious blood. And we have to have qualifications in order to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. We have to be redeemed first and foremost. We have come to him in repentance and faith. And we are redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are part of the church, his body. In the Old Testament, it generally refers to a meeting together of the people of God, gathered in worship and gathered for his service. If we go to Psalm 35 and verse 18, we have these words. I will give thanks in the great congregation I will praise thee among much people it was a place where the congregation met the people met to give thanks to God to worship him and to praise him and it's perfectly obvious that unless those people who had been redeemed There is nothing to give God thanks for. But they had been redeemed. And so they wanted to be there. In the great congregation. In order to worship. And to praise God. In Psalm 40. It says. In verse 9. I have preached. Righteousness. In the great congregation. Lo I have not. Refrained my lips. O Lord, thou knowest. It was a place where righteousness dwelt. Where righteousness was spoken. Where the righteousness of God was proclaimed. And so, with these thoughts in mind, this great congregation, the qualifications were set out of those who had the right To enter the great congregation. See as we mentioned. The practices of the heathen. Were an abomination to the Lord. It was a custom. Amongst these heathen nations. For the parents. To mutilate their children. In order to make them acceptable. As priests. In some of the pagan. Uh, temples of worship or to be employed in the service of kings or high ranking officials and so they carried out these mutilations and what God was saying here as no animal was acceptable for sacrifice if not whole or perfect without blemish So therefore it was not acceptable for those mutilated to come before him in worship. And similarly a bastard was not acceptable in the congregation of the Lord. Someone born out of wedlock someone born through immoral sexual relations. And God was in this way seeking to prevent not only these practices but to imply and to instill into the hearts and minds of these people that these practices were forbidden. They were laws given by God as a means of preventing mutilation of their offsprings or committing immoral acts. In verse 3 then we have two other nations who are mentioned, two other classes of people, the Ammonites and the Moabites. Two further classes that could not enter into the congregation of the Lord. It would appear if we read back that the Moabites did not give water when the Israelites were passing through their land. And the Ammonites, they were the ones who hired Balaam to prophesy against them. And so these two, one because they did not provide sustenance as they came out of Egypt or were passing through the land, and the other as when the Israelites were going to pass through the land, they, they tried to hire a man called Balaam, and you'll find that story in numbers. Someday we'll have a look at it, maybe <clears throat> And these two nations, because of their actions which had taken place when Israel were coming out of Egypt and going towards the Promised Land, because of that they were still to be excluded from being members of the congregation. The congregation was therefore a place of separation. It's interesting actually if you glance over just for a moment that Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 13 we see there the reforms of Nehemiah Nehemiah was a great guy he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and he, he brought about a whole new sense of worship <clears throat> but at the end they read from the book of Moses in chapter 13 towards the, in the last chapter in the book of Nehemiah. It's a very good book to read. Exciting story. But you know they had trouble with a man called Tobiah and uh, he, he tried to stop the work on many occasions. But on this particular day they read from the book of Moses in the audience of the people And therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. These laws have been forgotten about to a large extent. But here they read it and they discovered it. And the reason given again was the same as in Deuteronomy. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water. And then they hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. Now, what happened when they heard these words from the law, they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude, so the congregation was a place of separation, a separation of the mixed multitude. these people a lot of them had, the mixed multitude had come out with of out of Egypt with Israel, and you know they they weren't really Israelites. They weren't really committed uh, to Israel. They came out because it was a good thing to come out of. But they were constantly dragging them down. But here it says they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And you know, things had become very bad. They had even given uh, this man, Tobiah, and others... Uh, rooms in the temple in order to 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 uh, facilitate them and they had to do a lot of cleaning out and he pulled their beards, he, if you read in verse uh, 25, I contended with them and cursed them and smoked certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God saying you shall not give your daughters unto their sons they had become involved in mixed marriages and all that, everything had deteriorated It hadn't become a place of separation. It had become a place of mixture. But he made sure. By many means. In that chapter. It's worth reading that chapter when you go home. You'll see that this place. The congregation of God. Was to be a place of purity. And cleanliness. And separation. Unto God. And so. What lessons can we learn from these few verses in Deuteronomy chapter 22, the first five verses. Well, a eunuch, a eunuch represents one, the first type of person who had been mutilated by his parents. He had one who was fruitless. He had become fruitless. And as we look around Christendom in these days, we see much apostasy which this condition represents. And you know, Jude describes this so clearly in verse 12. Talking about these people who have crept into the churches, it says, These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. A eunuch is fruitless. Oh, to all intents and purposes, externally he may seem to be a genuine person. But Jude says... They are like clouds without water, fruitless, or like the fig tree by the wayside in Matthew 21 and verse 19, and when he saw a fig tree in the way he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only and said unto it let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever presently the fig tree withered away fruitless people in churches clouds without water oh they look as if they're going to produce some rain to bless the land but they are clouds without water and Jude describes their fate in verse 13. Raging waves of the sea foaming out of their own shame. Wandering stars. To whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. They have no place in the assembly of God today. The pastor represents those who have not come in a relationship with God through legitimate means. 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 They have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Again, have we not all met those who meet with this description? They have not come into the assembly by legitimate means. First it says, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Yes, how do we come into the assembly? By having our names written in the book of heaven through the mediator the Lord Jesus Christ in the churches today we see people who are hirelings Jesus described them in John 10 the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly I am the good shepherd the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep But he that is an hireling. And not the shepherd. Whose own the sheep are not. Seeth the wolf coming. And leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them. And scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth. Because he is an hireling. And careth not for the sheep. The hireling. One who has not come into the church by the correct means. A bastard. We then come to the Ammonite and the Moabite. Both are descendants of Lot. They have quite a godly connection but have shown no real and genuine love for the Lord and his people. And that's what these people were. They, or oh, their connections, their good connections, they were connected to lots. But sadly, when it was necessary to show true, genuine Christian love, that was lacking. How unlike those described in First Peter one, and verse twenty-two, and so on. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the the truth through the spirit with unfeigned love of the brethren see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever to show unfeigned love to the brethren that ye love one another from a pure heart, fervently. The only way we can do that, if our hearts have been changed by the love of God. May we, each one, show those attributes in our lives which are acceptable to God and not those which cast doubt on our genuine witness to the saving and keeping power of our Lord Jesus in our lives daily and showing the fruit of the Spirit produced in our lives by the Holy Spirit one final point in this little section being a eunuch a bastard an Ammonite or a Moabite did not disqualify them as individuals completely cut off from the grace of God and we will next week perhaps look at Some individuals who, although one of these types of people, still were members of the great congregation. May God help us to live lives pleasing to him day by day. Amen.